All right, welcome back to another edition of My Checker, the show where I talk to dope people doing dope things. I got, uh, I mean, I, this is just a beautiful thing and I got this brother on with me. He is a therapist, he's an educator. He's all about the people, all about what are you doing with your conversation? How are you doing your mental health awareness? I mean, bro, you, you're getting your doctorate now too, right? Yeah, I was working on it. I actually uh, paused it a little bit because my mom was dealing with some, uh, bladder cancer. So I had to step out of the program, but I'm eventually circle back to it. Yeah, so we're going we gonna to claim it now. You're already a doctor. We're going to claim it. You know what I'm saying? Off the strength. We're right. going to claim it. You know, I'm my boy Atoya White, thank you for coming on my check-in, man. I appreciate it, brother. Man, no doubt, man. It's a privilege, man. I was just telling, babe, like, like I met Daryl, man, way back when I was doing stuff with the St. Louis Gateway Classic Sports Foundation. <laughs> Bro came in and was doing a session on hip hop, and I had just done was talking to the young people about ACT and college stuff, and we yep. just clicked in and had the conversation and just kind of been touching base. Ever and it's so circles back, man. And everybody doesn't know ago, Tracy that was on one of the first mic checkers uh, of of period. This is his his her fiance right here. So yeah, it's man. just dope people just meeting dope people, man. And that's it, and it's all about uh you know that good energy and that good vibes when you see other people you know that's dope. But other people, you like, oh, yeah, I, it makes sense. For sure, no doubt. Yeah, that's the sphere, man, and that's how the vibrations work, bro. Yeah, so let, let's 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 dive in, man, before we get into more of your career. Like, your upbringing, where you came from, things like that. So what is your, your, your kind of background, who you are, where you from, like, when you were a child and your youth and coming up? Yeah, man, I'm from the, I'm from the bricks, man. I'm from uh from the west side here in St. Louis. Uh-oh, uh-oh. What part yeah. of the west side are you from? <laughs> so I grew up, so I, I was... My my earliest years of remembrance was in Walnut Park East uh, on Clover, but where I grew up and, and where I clam from the West Side, St. Louis Avenue and Clara. Okay, um, I'm from St. Louis Avenue and Sarah though, but the the Ville though. Yeah, way yeah, more, yeah. more 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 East. Yep, yep, yep. So right down the street, uh, I sat in between. So on one end was Bear Brothers Park, and on the other end, the slightly around the corner was the Horseshoe. So that was oh, that was so yeah, yeah, you right on the other side of where Goodfellow bumps up to the uh, park. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So that's the block, man. So that's why I'm from. They had some. Uh, somebody told me historically that 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 St. Louis Avenue stretch between uh Goodfellow and I guess it would be I guess it would be Clara. Then it was like a whole bunch of black people that had money back in the day that lived on that block. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I wouldn't doubt it, man. It's the neighborhood is kind of weird the way it sits because that area of St. Louis Avenue is like a really busy street. Um, but I could tell that, you know, over time, some things had changed. Like it was an area where like some of my neighbors literally had like, man, they like huge gardens and stuff on the block and things of that nature, man. And obviously, you know, very little of that, of, you know, that stuff is just, exists now, but um, it was the spot, man. Like we had, a, we had a good time growing up over there. I mean, it was a safe place, you know, it was never unsafe on the block and, uh, you know, still got friends to this day from the block. And that was that was well over. That was over thirty years ago. Man. That is a back, back to the horseshoe. I mean, unless you went over to the horseshoe, though, I don't, I don't know if the horseshoe's ever been safe. Yeah, the horseshoe wasn't safe. <laughs> right, right. As soon as you went past, right after you went down St. Louis Avenue, you made that left on uh, on Clara. <laughs> yep. Past like the first block down, then we couldn't make you no promises. <laughs> so they, you had you had to tell people like, yo, you don't ride your bike this way. Nah. You could go this way. I can chuckle back around and bring it on back to the crib. So. But yeah, that was the spot, man. And um, I had a, a mixture of experience. I grew up with my mom. Uh, my mom had three kids. You know, my dad, uh, you know, had other children. He was doing his thing. So my parents were never married. 
And um, so growing up, you know, just kind of moved around from place to place. By the time I got to sixth grade, that was my seventh different school. Um, and I had a mix of experience between public school, I was in magnet schools, I was in Catholic schools, and it wasn't ever a getting in trouble thing. It was just, you know, my mom was doing what moms do. She was, you know, doing the best she could. And, you know, that was just the life. That was just like, you know, as it was. And so by the time I got to sixth grade, I was in the uh, Parkway School District. We had gotten into the the, the, the voluntary desegregation program. I was um, just so, reading about the desegs going to be over officially coming up next year. Yeah, it's been phasing out over the course of the past few years. So, um, you know, it was a different experience. I mean, I, I had a great time, unfortunately. Well, now I'm going to say unfortunately. I had a fantastic time at Parkway Central High School. I learned a lot. I experienced a lot. So my closest friends, you know, that I have are from that experience. Unfortunately, having that experience came at the cost of what my neighborhood, what the block looks like today. So yeah, and it's even interesting even more when we talk about DSEG. The like, like I feel like some kids got. I want to say they got the raw end of it, but I feel like if you didn't go like to one of the Parkway schools, or do or Clayton, and they would send you out to Melville, Oakville, where these kids was getting up at like five in the morning to go all the way out there to Limburg and stuff like yeah, that, you like man, I'm, like they don't even. Yeah, and right. stuff, and that's how that lottery system working. A lot of times, you know, parents are just doing what they thought they could yeah. do to get kids, you know, and didn't know anything, didn't know shit about the schools or the communities they were sending them kids to. You know, if anybody would have known anything about South County, especially thirty years ago, they wouldn't have been sending no black children down there. Yeah, so Eureka back then, think about right, Eureka no. in the nineties when we was in high school. Like, what? yeah, it's, 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 and, and, and think about it, just the way we know it is today. Think about what it was thirty years ago. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah so parents were just trying to do the best yeah. they could, and understand, man. And I experienced that. You, luck, you lucked up though, Parkway Central, because you lucked up. Yeah, I mean, it was still. So based on the way I went about school, so I did early hour classes every year, my first three years. So I was still, it was still five o'clock, you know. Oh, they still was getting up at five in the morning to go. Yeah, I was still, I was still because we were, I was taking that extra class before school so I could get ahead on credits. And then I had sports. I played a sport every season. So every, every day for me was a 14 hour day. Every yeah, because you going, you getting up at five, you leaving at six. Yep. Bus don't even, athletic bus don't leave till six, six thirty. So. And then that's getting to the crib, having to drop everybody else off. And I lived in Pagedale at the time when I was in high school. So I had to go to my grandma's house on the bus. And then, you know, my mom would come pick you me up. You went into the crib at 8.30. I went at the crib till it was time to go to bed almost. You <laughs> eat, try to get a little homework done, and then it's rinse and repeat. Man. So you, at Parkway Central, so what made you decide, like, okay, I'm I, academically, I, I want to do this college thing. I want to. Take my take my talents to to Missouri State. Yeah, man. Yeah. So if, oh, Missouri, it, it was Southwest Missouri State then, right? Yeah, it was Southwest. Yeah. yeah, man. It was Southwest, and that was a crazy story in and of itself. Um, so I always knew that I would just because, like, I knew that I wanted something different. Like, I didn't have a you know models of men who had been to college or anything of that nature. That just wasn't what I had. Uh, but I knew I wanted. I, I learned by seeing all the things that I didn't want to do. So I would observe people, you know, cousins, uncles, or whatever happened. I'm just like, nah, son, that, no, that's not really what I want to do. And so my mom just kind of kept at least that much stability. So I had an opportunity. And then when I got to Central, it was like, okay, you know, from the block, we never seen nothing like Chesterfield before. So <laughs> in these neighborhoods, and I'm like, damn, straight. And I'm at my teammates' house, and they leave the doors unlocked and all this different <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, 
Like for real, we go out and they just like, oh, the parents would be like, okay, well, the door be unlocked when y'all come in. We out all hours of the night and the doors unlocked when we come back. So, you know, I always knew that I wanted something better. Um, and it was just, that was just one conduit, one of the ways that, um, that I was going to make that happen. And I was definitely, I was going to college no matter what. It was just, that was just where I ended up and was able to put some of those pieces together. Why'd you decide Missouri State? Um, so, man, I got recruited by some smaller schools to play football. And uh, I actually had an academic, uh, full tuition academic scholarship to Mizzou that I ended up turning down, which was just, just don't you, that's the whole story behind that. <laughs> so then, but, looking uh, back, you was like, I shot, what was I thinking? <laughs> listen, but Missouri State happened. Um, actually, it was Minority Student Weekend. Uh, down there, and one of the uh, recruiters, uh, my brother, good brother, good brother of mine, he's literally like a brother to me, George Winston, who was working in admissions at the time down there, and uh, you know, got connected with him through my school. And me and a couple of my uh, partners, man, went down there for Minority Student Weekend, and it just so happened a couple of our friends from high school were already students down there, so it was an easy transition. There was some familiarity, and we went down there, man, Minority Student Weekend. And turned up, man, had a good time. And I was like, okay, shit, it seemed like, you know, the look. And I get to work. So I investigated the football team and whatnot and introduced myself to the coaches, told them I was trying to pull up. And then I learned my best friend, he said that he was looking at going down there. So once I found out that he was going to go, and I was like, okay, well, shit, okay, then. I was like, it must be, you know, I'll give it a look. So I visited, like, DePaul um, in Greencastle, Indiana, and uh, Paul, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I remember, I remember. Milliken, Milliken wanted me to come over and play football and some other stuff. But after I got down there and saw that, you know, people that I legit rock with was already there, I was like, you know, it seemed like the spot in the community of black students, although it was very small, um, it was a tight knit community, man. I, we went down there and had a good time, a little bit too much for me. So, look at you, was like, man, I should have went to Mizzou. You think that that's that's that that's that 90s Mizzou. Man, you know, and that honestly, man, that Mizzou story, and I tell that story, I share that story uh, as a part of my testimony, especially when I'm working with young people, man, because it's a, it's an, um, it's really, it really emphasizes how much we need to lead and guide each other and have wisdom sources for each other, because the reason I turned that scholarship down, man, was just lack of wisdom. So, um, you know, long story short, I had, um, I was at Central, this was my senior year. And this was during track season that year. And so um, I actually happened to be standing in the counselor's office. And my the guy who was supposed to be my counselor, I never went to him because one of my football coaches was a counselor. So I went to him to sign a relationship. So I happened to be standing in the counselor center one day. The counselor looks out the door. He's like, oh, he tore your wife standing right here. And I was like, what? Okay, cool. So I go hop on the phone. And so there's so many layers to this that that are indicative of our kids' experiences. So I go and I'm in the office, I'm talking to the listener. I, I know this, this story like the back of my hand, the lady's name, the whole shebang. She's like, oh, you know, we've been looking for you, but the school didn't have the right phone number. That's one of those things, you know, you moving these different because, schools. And you're moving around, and you already said you was moving I, around a little bit here and there. I gave the phone number. So she said, my name is Lakia King Westfall. I'm Refugee University of Missouri, boom, 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 boom. She's like, okay, we've been looking for you. So like, we'd like to come sit down. And talk to you and your family about, you know, an opportunity for it. I was like, okay, cool. It was track season. And so I told her, you know, I got to meet this weekend. You can come over to the house on Tuesday next week after practice. She was like, cool. So she pulled up to the crib in, uh, you know, Paisdale or whatever. Have you. She sat down with me and my mom. We go through this interview. She tells me, well, 
we have this, you know, academic, this, you know, student leadership program or whatever. And if I came to Mizzou, they would pay my tuition for free. I just have to maintain a certain grade point average. Boom, boom, bing, bing, bing. I'm like, okay, cool. But we was virgins at the time. We didn't know nothing about this process, and my parents wasn't involved. I was doing all that shit on my, on my own. own. You on you on your own doing it. Exactly. So she sits down, and you know, we go through the whole shebang. So she was like, full tuition. Now me not thinking the value of full tuition at a school like Mizzou. Obviously, at 46, I understand that. At 17, <laughs> I didn't know what she was talking about. So uh, she said that. But what she said was. This was Tuesday. She was like, unfortunately, because we couldn't find you until now, we got to have an answer by Friday. So I was like, damn, I got to decide my whole life in three days. And for the real story, man, the real spill is I just didn't have guidance. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't know how to go or have this conversation with my parents because they didn't know nothing about that. I didn't know to go ask my counselor, like, you know, they saying they got this money for me, blah, 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 or anybody else at that juncture, because I didn't have a mentor, I didn't have any of that stuff, didn't have that type of relationship with my coaches, or none of that, where I could have said, where somebody could have just said, nigga, they said free, do you understand what they just said to you right now? No loans, no nothing. <laughs> Bro, you are going to Mizzou, you are taking the money, boom, boom, bing, 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 and that, that would have been it, but unfortunately, I didn't have those pieces in place. So I called, I called Sis back that Friday and was just like, I'm, I'm going to explore some other opportunities. Wow. Mine is the total opposite of that. I literally was not trying to go to Iowa State at all. Didn't, like, it was this counselor dude met me at, it was, he went to a black college summit and it was one, I would say it was one of the only PWIs there. He got my information, mm -hmm. called my grandmother. My grandmother helped him, got with him to apply because I wouldn't apply. So I had to apply like to Mizzou, mm -hmm. all these schools on the East Coast, Chicago. I'm like, no, nah, I ain't going there. They sent me a scholarship. My grandma told them I'm going. <laughs> wow. I went to Iowa State sight unseen. I did not wow. see Iowa State until August 10th, 1999, when I stepped on, on campus. Crucial. That's never that's saw it. I got a full ride. Everything. Yeah. Didn't even my grandma was on it because I got in like Northwestern, a couple of schools, but they didn't give me no money. And she was like, yeah. they gave you money. I'm telling you go in there. I was like, what? Got me a Greyhound yeah. bus ticket. And I had all my stuff. Wow. <laughs> I was there. That's a hell of a story right there. Yeah, see, man, my, my old dude, my old man, he was trying to get me. To, he was an Army guy. He was trying to get me to go to the Army. I was like, nah, son. And that was mostly like, because, again, lack of information. Now, I'm keeping a buck. And I told my son, to my brother, I was like, listen, if my dad had legit sat down with me, and was like, listen, son, you can get your schooling paid for. You can get this. You can benefit this way, this way, this. Because my dad was to say, he, you know, he had a nice job with the FAA. He was a flight supervisor with the FAA at the time that he died. He was doing, you know, well for himself, whatever. He, all he had to do was say literally like three things. If he would have said, you can go to school for free, you'll be able to double dip for the rest of your life, and you can travel the world and have a smorgasbord of women. If he would have said that, I would have been it. Yeah. I would I would I don't even know why the army doesn't leave with that in general. I've always said that, like, yeah, like these are your three yeah. things you can yeah, do. Yeah, that's all you really gotta say. He's just been like, man, you can go and you can be a cook, you can be an engineer, you could do this, you can work on planes, you can work on you could do all these different things. So, so if he would have led with any of that stuff, it would have been a done deal, right? Especially where I was at 17, I would have been like straight up, and all I gotta do is do this and blah, 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 blah. It'd have been it a done deal. Like, like you got me. 
And that's a part of, that's a big part of the passion behind what I do, you know, as an educator and as a mental health professional, man, is that there's so much teaching and wisdom that's necessary, man, because our young people are still, to this day, man, 30 years later, we still got kids, we still got systems that are not adequately supporting our kids. So like that's central. Like I didn't know anything about, the only thing I knew about HBCUs, bro, was from when I was a kid going to the Gateway Classic games and seeing <laughs> Alabama State play Howard and seeing yep, yep, State Howard, yep, yep, then, yep. It wasn't like that, bro. It was like none of us had had information that directed us to schools that would adequately support us, um, where we could have had some different opportunities. Now, strangely, my first acceptance letter to a college or university came from Clark Atlanta, but I that'd was like, that had been a lick. That had been a lick. That same thing, but from a wisdom standpoint, I told my mom, my mom was like, well, you know what, you should go to Clark because, you know, we have a cousin down there, you know, Dan's a you know, successful attorney, he can blah, 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 but at, I was 17, I was like, Atlanta, okay, I just, I'm a late bloomer, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm a, I'm a hot nigga right now, if I go down here and get with all these ladies, I'm going to be in trouble. And, I and you would have been down there a freak nick too. Exactly, so that means <laughs> I would have been right back home. And immediately, I would have been right back you, to the. You know what? I've always thought. I always wanted somebody would have did some research. How many people went to school there? Like, what was the uh, recidivism rate uh, <sighs> for uh, for students? And then versus, like, you know, five years after uh, Freaknik was Look, over. Listen, <laughs> listen, no, listen. There were so many empty dormitories back then. After them, that <laughs> kids that didn't make it back. Yeah, the the recidivism rates. I just. Yeah, so that is that that experience, man, just that DSEG not being connected to culturally relevant counseling services for our kids, not getting adequate test prep and things of that nature, because 30 years ago, it wasn't none of the stuff that we had. We had, you know, our some of our teammates, their parents could pay $400 for them to take an ACT class. Bro, I rolled out the bed, went to Umsel to take my ACT after a game, B. We didn't know nothing about no ACT, bro, and they didn't adequately prepare us for it either. Now... I got a good score for for that long ago, you know what I'm saying? My that was a straight off intellect. That wasn't like knowing the test. Bro, that was rolling out the bed with some cinnamon toast crunch. That was that wasn't adequate test prep, bro. So it's just like, man, there's there's so but so many of the same things are still happening today where we have more access to more things, but we're not, we're still not putting the, the adequate structures in place, man, to really support our kids. So you know, now their kids are getting some breaks because, you know, kids are able to get in school, the test scores are getting waived and all that stuff, but they're still not being adequately prepared to survive, you know, in those situations and be able to access mental health resources and be able to adjust, um, you know, to those different types of transitions and things of that nature. So it's a lot of college kids struggling, man, especially in that first year um, because they get to places and, you know, social connectedness and things of that nature that they don't get in right away. And this is HBCU, PWI, or whatever. Right. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like it. it's a, uh, extremes. Like, either you got too much kicking it going on or you got, you isolated because you in like somewhere random remote where it's nothing really going on and there's no black community. Because nobody taught you how to find the right fit yeah. for what needs are. It's just about, you know, go here, do this, whatever have you. This is where the money is and that type of thing. And if it's not the right fit, man, it could be it could be harmful for a lot of kids, man. So what made you decide to get into education? So you're at Missouri State. What made you decide, man, I want to be in the education field and educate? Yeah, man, um, I always wanted to do it, um, but I kind of took the circuitous route because of what I thought based off the things that I saw. Uh, so again, another part when I'm standing, when I'm doing, you know, speaking engagements and things, and I'm talking to young people, especially young brothers, I tell them, like, look, 
Man, I, it took me 10 years to get my undergrad degree. I went to four different schools. I dropped out for three years and I changed my major six times. Mm. All because I didn't have guidance. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what questions to ask. None of that stuff. So when I left, man, I kind of, the actually like the class that impacted me the most during my time at Parker Central, you know, I had, you know, AP class, honors class, whatever happened. But the class that impacted my time the most was a class that I had called peer counseling. And it was literally a semester long group counseling class that was led by one of the counselors. And um, that opened my eyes. I was like, man, I would like to, you know, I knew I was, I wanted to be in that setting. I just didn't know exactly how to make it work. Um, so, I mean, I, I had, man, I was a marketing major, recreational therapy. I was business, psychology, MIS. I mean, I went all around the block. Man, system. I remember the MIS degree was a big deal oh, back when we was in college, boy. <laughs> it was, man. It was because everything was about this change over the technology and everybody was doing, you know, the C++ and the cold. Is MIS even a degree stuff. still? Um, I think they're more specialized now. Okay, because um, I was like, it was at the General Management Information Systems. That yeah, was <laughs> MIS, or, MIS or CIS was back yep. in the Missouri State. We had CIS, Computer Information Systems. Um, so I got to, after I dropped out, um, I went back because my tenure reunion was coming up. And I was like, I'm not going to my tenure reunion without my degree. So I went back to UMSL, re-enrolled, got uh, my degree in general studies. And I actually uh, moved to Chicago. I took a job in corporate sales with a Fortune 500 technology company up there. And while I was working, man, I really just missed. I'd always been in team ministry, new team ministry. I miss working with kids. And so God just moved on. I, I applied for grad school for account, the counseling program at UMSL. And uh, once I got in, packed everything up, moved back to St. Louis, took a job with the uh, family court of St. Louis County as a DJO in the detention center. And uh work my way through. Oh, man, you was at the DJO. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been around the block once or twice. So Woo. and in yeah. Chicago, where was you at in Chicago? I was living, I was in the northwest suburbs. Okay. Uh, I was in a city called Palatine because my office. Yeah, I know what Palatine north. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was way, way up north. So I hung out still with the bros on the on the south side, high park and all that stuff. That take but, you forever though to get from the northwest side down to the south side. That's an hour. Bro. You might as well drive to St. Louis at that point. <laughs> man, that was a trek, bro. It was a trek. But you better stay somewhere. You better stay somewhere that night. By myself as well. That's one of the nights you stay somewhere. Like, all right, right. Man, no doubt about it. <laughs> like I got, I'm overnight somewhere. I don't know where right. I'm staying. Right. Fortunately, I'm staying exactly. Fortunately, so, I had one. Fortunately, my line brother lived on the west side, so I oh, so you was good. You you what you didn't yeah. have that far. You you had that far of a trek. So you end up pledging a fraternity as well. Yeah, man. Five Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, greatest fraternity in the world. <laughs> uh, November 11, 1995. So, in, in, in Missouri years, State or in yeah, at Missouri State, Rokai Chapter, um, okay. Missouri State University. So, yeah, man. So it's been the, this November will be twenty seven years. So, yeah, man. man. You uh, you on the you've been in the fret longer than some people been alive. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> like some of them so kids. Been, uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a blessing, man. Met some some phenomenal brothers, man, and that have been a blessing to my life, and just you know having the opportunity to do networking all around the world. And uh, so, yeah, man, it's just been, it's been a fantastic experience for me. So, so then you start, you, you, you go, you come back to UMSL, go to graduate school, you work with a DJO, like yeah. all these things are kind of impacting you and, and pulling you, pulling you away. What made you decide again to the mental health space for? Yeah. For so, um, good question, man. I, I, um, 
So I was working as DJO and then in my master's program, I decided to do a dual track. So in the counseling program, there's a school counseling program and the community counseling program. And I actually took all the classes on both sides. So I would have actually had double masters, but I only did field experience on the school side. So I knew I, knew I wanted to be a school counselor because I wanted to, I wanted to coach high school football. So okay. I knew I was going to do that. And I also wanted, the reason I went into school counseling is because I wanted to be for kids what I didn't have available to me. Um, and so, and because there's not, you know, there just wasn't a lot of black males, in, you know, in that profession. And so I did that. And so I knew I was going to be a therapist. It was about the timing and how to get my license and all that stuff. Uh, so once I did, uh, I started working on my, you know, license hours along the way or whatever. And after I figured out, you know, how I would do that, and then I realized that at some point I would want to be in private practice. Um, so that, and the reason why is because like being in the school, it was dope. I, you know, phenomenal relationships, but I wanted to get deeper into, you know, being able to support our kids and our culture and school didn't necessarily allow me, as a school counselor, I'll say, I didn't really have, I couldn't get deeper into those relationships. And because we have so many kids to, you know, service hell. When I was at, you know, McCoy North, the 2013-2014 school year, I was an 11th grade counselor. I had 402 kids. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, and I, yeah, now I knew all of them. Yeah, I knew all of them. had a lot of, you know, relationships or whatnot, but, and I still have great relationships with a lot of those kids to this day, but I didn't have that opportunity to really get deeper into what they needed in terms of support. So I'm able to do that now, um, you know, as a therapist and because I work for myself, you know, I get to make the rules. So so how was that being having that many amount of kids worth? I mean, you just basically got them all in alphabetical order and I'm just going, okay, I got Johnson, Kerry, and Lemoyne this week. <laughs> like, cause I'm- Yeah, so- yeah, so at North, I appreciated the opportunity that I had at uh, at North, man. It was actually, one, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed my time in McCoy North because we traveled with our grade level. Okay, um, so I okay. Had kids. After I left, I, I ended up moving to Atlanta after that year. But I would have stayed with those kids all the way through graduation, which is how I feel. So I don't like the alphabetical splits because counselors really don't get to focus on the needs of those kids in that grade level everybody should rotate. If you get these kids as a freshman, you should be with them all the way until they graduate so they can maintain those relationships and connections with those families. So I had the opportunity to do that at North and that was, that was, uh, that was a, a pretty big deal. What was the, one of the things you saw from students that, that was like the key indicator of like, man, okay, we need this to be able to get kids to this next level? Um, man, you know, a couple of things. Some kids just, uh, I, there's some intangibles, right? And mm -hmm. I think relationships is the main thing, man. Like, because some kids, they have all the best intentions in the world, but they just don't have supportive enough relationships that get them connected to some of those, you know, intangible things like the, you know, getting them on campuses for visits. When I was at Lift the Life Academy, I, I started um, the counseling program. I was the founding school counselor at Lift the Life Academy for their high school back in 2008. I started a college tour program because I understood for black and brown kids or kids in it from black and brown spaces, it's important to get them on campus so they can touch, taste, hear, feel, smell, ask questions, visualize themselves, they see other black students on these campuses and all these things. And, they spend, and that changed lives, though, because a lot of kids are walking around and they don't have a vision for it. And so all they know, much like I said earlier, when I was growing up on the West Side, I didn't know nothing about Chesterfield. 
nothing at all. And so for us to be able to, we had a very limited view, but getting these kids out for exposure helps them to broaden their vision for what's actually possible in life. And then it becomes about getting them plugged in academically, getting them plugged into purpose, things they do well, talents they have and all of that. And then showing them how they can use that to be successful and cause change in their lives and in their families and communities, man. Like, have you, uh, like, do you, have you tracked, or are you meant to, like, man, like, I remember I went to a, a seminar once, and the guy was talking about, um, he was in, in uh, uh, um, it was like a TED Talk, and he was basically, like, saying, like, he had followed this kid, helped this kid out for so long, because he had found out the kids, he was on the scene when the kid brother was killed, or whatever, he showed a picture of him crying, upset about this in Chicago, mm-hmm. about it. And then he was trying to help him out. He said he fell off with the kid. Ten years later, that kid has killed somebody else. And it was literally, he was like just opposing like this kid crying because his brother was killed. And then him having murdered someone. Yeah. Like ten years later. Yeah. And it was like, he was like, man, he said it really hit him. Like, yo, like I was with this kid when he was 10, now he's 20, and he's going to be locked up for life. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have situations like that, man, where, um, like, you know, doing the work that we do, and especially when I was a counselor, I worked, you know, only in spaces, you know, urban core spaces, and uh, had those situations, man. Walked up to school and, you know, found out or got messages that, you know, kids had got murdered, that I had close relationships with, and as an educator, nothing, nothing touched your metal until you, you know, get a phone call or a text message that one of your students was was killed like nothing catch your metal like that and to have to go to funerals and see some of my kids in boxes man was just bro, it was mind-boggling i had and I literally i think the very first one was a girl was a young lady my first student that i lost to violent crime was a young lady who got um beautiful young lady man but she was just she was troubled she was always fighting always in trouble she has such a big personality but I was able to break down some of those walls and have a good relationship with her. And she would, no matter how much, she would always stop by my office, poke her head in and speak and all these different things. Whenever she got in trouble or was wilding out, they would call me and I would be able to get her to, you know, emotionally regulate and think and so on. Got to school one day over the summer. I can't remember what school year it was. I think this was the 2011, 2012 school year. Uh, pulled up to McClure South Berkeley, man, was having a meeting, you know, at summertime or whatever, you know, principal and assistant principal rolled up to me and was like, hey, you know, um, hey, to tell you this, man, but such and such got killed last night. She got shot to death last night. And I was like, what? Was it accidental or was it like? I guess she was just with a crowd of people. She was somewhere on the south side. You know, we was in, you know, we in Berkeley and Ferguson and whatnot. And she was somewhere on the south side, man. And, Somebody sprayed a corner where she was in a group and they sprayed the corner, man, and she got chopped down. And um, that was the first one, man, and it just it just touched my soul a different way, bro. And I, I experienced that before with, you know, when I was a DJ, when I was working in a detention center. Kids that we would work with, man, and build relationships with, and then next thing you know, you see them in the world or in the paper or whatever because, you know, they done committed a different crime and now they getting certified as adults. You know, I got those two. I got kids doing bids. You know, in situations like that. So, absolutely, man, we we encounter situations like that. You know, on a regular basis. And and what's so crazy for especially for us the cats, me being a North Side cat, you being a West Side cat. It like I was uh, talking uh, to one of my homies, like, dude, like you know, way too many people that have died, like that you know, like, and yeah. I'm, you and but you don't. Tr- I mean, yes, you don't 
trip off because you, I mean, you do trip off of, but you don't because you're just moving through life and matriculating like, all right, man, you, 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 you harp on it. But then you start really thinking about it. You're like, yo, dang, such and such dead, such and such dead. He locked up. Yeah. He's, he's, he's dope. That are, and then, but then you have a flip of a whole bunch of people because you have great energy. You're rolling with that of dope people too. So it's like, at least for me, I've, I always feel like it's not survivors of more. It's kind of like in between where it's because I know so many great people too, though, that I right. met as well that I wouldn't have ever met if I didn't keep, you know, moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. It's just that, you know, having that that baseline to go back to, right, and not making myself responsible for other people's emotional condition and just being able to get centered on myself and be like, yo, like, you know, what God has for me is for me, and I, and I got to be mindful of that, you know, and not taking on, um, not internalizing other people's experiences. Like, I was doing so compassionate things that nature just like, okay, I don't know what what factors, what moving pieces contributed to that person's demise or whatever have you, man. We just, you know, keep showing empathy, you know, for each other and, um, and you know, trying to keep those connections as strong as we possibly can, um, but understand that, you know, life life happens. Struggle is a part of the human condition. And and that's, you know, we have to, we got to figure out ways to get recentered. So how did you start the business, the counseling business? Like, how did, how did you make, like, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. Tired, <laughs> you know, with all these kids. I'm tired of these kids trying uh doing TikToks of me. You know, I'm tired of them. Uh, what was it? The TikTok time was for like beat up uh, like teachers or something. What was that like man, the past year? <laughs> and I'm I'm glad I wasn't around when none of them <laughs> because I probably would have lost my certification. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. So I had um I had moved away to Atlanta for a couple years, and I already knew that I was going to go into private practice. I knew I was going to be a therapist. Because I wanted the option to do both. I wanted to be able to work in schools, but then also work, you know, private practice. So I had actually started the process before I moved to Atlanta, got down there, took me a little while to get adjusted, uh, ended up getting a school position down there. And I was still trying to figure out how I would integrate, you know, getting into private practice. And then when I moved back to St. Louis in 2017, uh, I was still working in the schools, but then I really went into getting my supervision hours because I needed to get 3,000 hours of, of licensed supervision got connected uh, in that area, man. I really just started grinding it out because I knew, you know, my focus would be, you know, to be, you know, um, to work for myself, you know, still be connected to schools, but I wanted to change it because I just didn't want anybody to be able to dictate the level of impact I would have, you know, civically, socially, or whatever have you, you know, uh, as, you know, in terms of uh, civic leadership. Um, and so that's that was the driving force behind it. I still, I contracted schools. I was kind of consultant as well. Um, you know, do school-based you know, mentoring, you know, I stay connected to schools in that way, but in terms of, you know, just the, the actual work that I do, um, private practice is definitely the move for me. So, so what is, what is your, what is your practice? So if you just said to say, like, you're, you're pitching it to somebody and they like, I want to get some counseling. What is it that you provide in your kind of your vision for, with, with what you provide in your, your counseling? Yeah, good question, though. So I provide individual, uh, marital, couple, uh, group, and family dynamic uh, counseling services. I'm also a life relationship and performance coach, uh, also uh, educational mental wellness consultant. So I do that. My office is in Olivet, uh, right in the building where the radio station is. Right down are. the street from me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm right there. Yep, yep, yep. And so I'm in that building on the second floor, suite 205. And uh, yeah, man, my, I tell everybody my delivery style is very different. Uh, much how I present in this, you know, in this media is the same way that I present as a therapist. Um, you know, man, what's the craziest thing you heard? Because I've had uh, my homegirl Marshall Leon. She was like, 
one of my, mm-hmm. one of my first guests, she's a uh, therapist, but like more in actually like in um, mental institutions, mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? Like people coming in with straps, all kind of stuff where they really are impacted, you know, and she gave some stories about that. Like, what is something you'd be like, yo, bro, if I told you this, <laughs> like, you wouldn't even believe it. Yeah. I don't, man, I, I really. Not, you ain't never had anyone that's like super outside bound where you like, you know, where. Yeah, yeah, no, more than anything for me, it's just been um, hearing people's stories, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's been a thing for me. It's not been anything outrageous. I haven't had any, you know, guns, nobody's coming. I mean, I had some people come in, they might, you know, have been smoking or something like that, but I haven't really had, for me, it's just people's stories, man, because like, and I share this with people, like, some people's trauma story, like your trauma story is the most intimate personal possession you have. Like mm. people will give away sex and money before they give away their trauma story. So it's the it's the power of sitting there and having somebody share the deepest part parts of themselves that nobody else knows about. That for me is the that's where the magic happens. So I haven't had and just sitting there and just understand like, damn, like some of the things that people have had to have the courage and strength to endure and overcome, even to just be able to sit in front of me. That's that's really it for me, man. Just I just listen. I'm just like, fuck. Like, have yeah. you ever heard somebody's story where you like, you for real? This for real? This your story? Like, you where you like? They hold on to somewhere. It's like you haven't even heard these other stories, and I you hold on to this. Like, <laughs> you don't even know. Like, what you missed? You you in a you've been in a blessed position. You just mad because your dad didn't get you a Corvette in '92. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this woman over here has been raped by her dad. You know what I mean? Like. And so there have been situations where I've heard some ancestral type things and I'm just, you know, and obviously I'm holding a straight face, but inside I'm just like, yo, like, damn, bro, like, and I couldn't imagine. And obviously, naturally, I think back to, you know, my relationship with my dad before he passed or my relationship with my mom or any other. And I just couldn't imagine, like, what something like this would have looked like in my life. Like, if somebody that i trusted or had you know but that's also the impact pathologically for the people who experience these things and how we end up with ptsd and all these unresolved you know um childhood trauma issues man is like that stuff is real for a lot of people man a lot of people so if somebody comes into you what is like kind of the baseline of like how you would go about for people for they could if they want to come to you how would they feel comfortable and come in how was your counseling sessions kind of set up for people. yeah so the original the first session I, I tell everybody after we get into you know how I, I work and how I operate and I explain my delivery style uh, I do a lot of education for my clients and I help them understand that because I'm a black male therapist and you know people speak my name that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm the best fit for you um, I explain to them that this is this part of this is um, you know an interview right and I, I empower them to ask me questions about my experience about my background or whatever have you, and um, those pieces are critically important for clients to understand because a lot of times when we get people, they're in crisis mode, like they're at the tipping point, they're in crisis mode, they're ready to come in, they're ready to vomit, but I take the time to educate them about, you know, this process for them, and I tell them everybody doesn't need therapy, but everybody needs relationships, therapy is a relationship, and so I walk them through that process so that they can be disarmed and feel comfortable, and I explain to them as well, about their trauma story. This is your personal intimate space and I want you to make sure you're giving it to the right person. That's real, that's, that's, that's super, super real. So what would you, what is reasons that people should be going to therapy where 
because I know that that's been kind of a hot button topic. Some people yeah. are still <laughs> resistant towards it. What mm-hmm. reasons do we, people, particularly us as black people, because we already come in the gate, I feel, with like you you born and you got 10 years of trauma off the, off the top and you six months years old, at least in my yeah. mind. Like you feel like you got 10 years previously already out the birth wagon. But why yeah. should people go in therapy in general or at least get counseling? Yeah, man, I, you know, I think if for no other reason, just to, to check in, some people just have just experienced things and just need to vomit, you know, in a space that's non-judgmental. Um, you just might need to, you know, if you're at a point where you're unsure about some decisions or where you want to go in life, it's a great place to go and just order your thoughts. It doesn't have to be about being pathologized. Now, that's the that's the the, the issue, especially for black and brown folks, because in order for therapists to build insurance companies, there has to be a diagnosis of some kind, but it's not necessarily, you know, to pathologize everybody. Some people just need help. Um, and so that's that space, man. If you're at a point where you're some things from your childhood, you feel like you have some unresolved childhood trauma, you experience some grief and loss and you need to make sense of it or understand that like grief is a real thing and it's okay to be where you are. Sometimes people just need to learn some new skills. If you have a parenting issues, if you had an impasse with your kids, if you have a communication struggles in your marriage, like, listen, there's nothing wrong with, it's literally like a tune-up on your car. That's it, man. Just come in and sit down. It doesn't have to be for six months or six years. It could be two or three sessions where you just get the opportunity to hear yourself say some things that'll cause you to be able to process and make some different decisions. So um, that's the importance of us personalizing it and making sure that we explain what it should be like to people so they can understand what therapy really is about because a lot of people are still led by you know unfortunately you know the historical uh historical trauma that's associated with it from a you know uh, a discrimination bias standpoint etc so we we have to work extra hard to break those walls down for our people so they feel safe what do you do as a therapist when you need to go like the tv show in treatment what do you do when you need to because you're taking on all these other people's traumas yeah. and and they're, they're, they're bonding to you as well. Cause I mean, if anybody's empathy, it has any empathy, you're going to take that on kind of mentally. What do you do for your, your uh, so, so yeah, man, and actually it's interesting you ask that because I, I'm in the process. I'm looking for a new therapist for myself right now. All of us uh, should have therapists. We need to go to therapy. That's critically important. If for no other reason than to decompress and process, because it's not like we're not living like, it's not like yeah. I don't have teenagers living in my house that I'm taking care of. <laughs> That's a real thing. You know what I'm saying? All this different stuff, man. And um, and I have, a, a you know, personal self-care. You know, we have to be intentional about practicing the things that we teach um, because we do experience tap out, burnout, compassion fatigue, and, and some of these other things, secondary traumatic stress, all these different things, man. And so, um I, I plug into personal self-care and that's, you know, things that I practice on a regular basis, regardless of whether or not I encounter stress and it helps me to keep my emotional levels balanced. So I'm, I'm intentional about that. And all right, well, this is the last part of our interview. The hardest part is called this or that. You only get two choice. You only, you got two choices. You only can choose one. All right. That's it. All right. Fresh Prince or Martin? Martin. Okay. Okay. All right. O.J. Simpson or Walter Payton? Walter Payton. <laughs> you don't want to go to O.J. right now. I was a Payton fan. I was a Payton fan. <laughs> I, was, I was a sweetness guy flat out. All right. Tecmo Bowl or Madden? Uh, <laughs> they get harder and harder. <laughs> man. Um, ooh. Uh, People understand oh. the Tecmo Bowl one time, 
I, I mean, I know that people have been hurt and accosted from Madden games, but Tecmo Bowl would literally be cheating you. <laughs> Man, listen. Because there was no AI. It was literally just. <laughs> nope, that's it. And when and whoever had Bo Jackson or Barry Sanders, they was going to win the game. Yep, 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 yep. And, and then, and then uh, L.A. had Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen. Remember, you could throw yeah, it in the man. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, man, Tecmo Bo definitely has the nostalgia piece, but I'm going to go Madden on that. Okay, you're going to go Madden on it. All right. This one is a triple threat match, all right? New Jack City, Juice, or Boys in the Hood? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go because it related to where I was. It had, you know, it's a special place in my life. I'm going to go New Jack. New Jack. All right. I'm going to New Jack. If, if, if hip-hop or football, one of them has to go. Everything in his history has to go, period, in, like, in the situation. Like, either hip-hop or football. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. That's real crucial, bro. <laughs> That's like, that really doesn't exist. Like, if you say, all right, I'm going to keep football, hip-hop has never existed. It's just wiped off earth and vice versa. For, uh, if you say hip-hop, football has never existed. It's never on the, or in the world. Man. Um, woo! <laughs> uh, that's, that's, a, that's really, you know what? Uh, man, hip-hop, uh, I'm going to go... Um, I'm gonna go football, man. I think I, I I don't know if I could at not as much now. Um, but what hip hop meant to my childhood, yeah, versus what football meant to my childhood, I think they're very sick. So I learned the most important things about myself as a high school football player, college player, pledge my fraternity, everything that involved togetherness with, you know, brothers. You see what I'm saying? Being a part of a team. But hip hop was like. Even Does hip hop educate anymore? Like, think about how we would you would hear something from a line, you'd be like, dude, I gotta go to this, I gotta go to the library. What the hell is this? You know mean? what, man? I think that's the so I or think it's easier the, for them, maybe because they just Google it. Then, like, I, can just, I think that's the issue with my answer, right? In stages of life, so up to a certain point in my life, definitely hip hop because hip hop got us through like some, some trouble spots, but now where I am now. It's football because my, you know, not my kids don't play football, they play basketball, but I coached and keep staying connected with high school and college football and, do, you know, provide mental health services to athletes and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm going to reverse that based off of what you just said about the, the culture of hip hop being different because the hip hop that raised us is the hip hop that was about us. See what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And so I'm, I'm going to switch that. I'm going to say, if we're talking about the way hip hop looks today, yeah, I'm cool on that. No, no, no. It's period hip hop, so you don't get any of the past either. So you losing Kumo D, you losing Karis One, you losing Public I, Enemy, you, know you losing Nas J. I'ma still say hip hop only because what I said before. I'ma say I could do without hip hop, the history of hip hop, because high school football, college football helped me learn lessons about myself as a man that I would not have otherwise learned. Okay. All right, Nas or Jay Z. Jay-Z all day. Okay. Jay-Z all day. Self-explanatory with that. There's not too much to uh, put on I top of that. Really I've never really been a Nas guy. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Nia Long or Holly Berry? <laughs> Tracy, Tracy upstairs. Um, <laughs> so, <man. laughs> 
Uh, Nia, definitely Nia. I'm a Nia. I'm a Nia Long guy. Nia Long. It's interesting. Nia. If we'd have asked this question 20 years ago, we probably would all say Holly Berry. But Nia is eight. Like her, the 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 wine start getting better. It's like it's setting the vineyard, getting better and better over the time. Yeah, her 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 and Regina King, bro. They yeah. just they just. But we them. but nobody would have said that 20 years ago. Keep that no. in, like if we, if you'd have got us in 99, 98, nobody would have said that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This time and like they've been able to age with time was well, what I'm saying is why no I'm seeing a lot no of them, a uh, lot of those answers changing. All right. Absolutely. Three, it's another triple threat. All right. You, I I have you have snowfall, power, or the wire. So I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna expose myself to God's people <laughs> by saying that of all three of those. Power is the only one where I've actually watched more than one episode. Dude. I've never seen The Wire, and I've you, never look, seen you, you got HBO Max? Yeah, yeah, Tracy so does. I, John, I'm sorry. Start tonight. I guarantee you, watch the first episode. You, If you ain't got nothing to do tomorrow because it's the brother Martha King's birthday, right? you will be up all night. I trust me. That's what I've been hearing, man. No, I'm sorry, just, that, watch the 30, just watch 30 minutes. Watch the first 10, and you're going to be like, Oh, I gotta figure out what what is what is this going on? And I, I've heard that about the wire, man. I, somebody told me like, bro, yes, you put the wire on, you're not gonna. And stop you're it. a counselor. There's a whole season on school counseling. Wow. Yeah. The I'm fourth season I'm, is all about just schools. I need to go ahead and do that, man. I get so busy with these teenagers ripping and running out of these basketball gyms, man. I never get really the opportunity to sit still. And, I'm uh, telling and you, the wire will change. You will. You you get to season four. Text me. You're gonna be like. Yo, what is this going on? Like, bro, like, cause every season yeah, is a different industry within the city. So the first wow. season gets you introduced. The second season is the docs. The third season is the the structure of the police. The fourth season is the schools. The fifth season is journalism. Like, wow. it's and it's all in no, government and stuff like this. And like, literally everything is connected. Huh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do. And that. all these people you gonna see, you gonna be like, "Oh, this is where all these people came from." That's dope actors now. Yeah, you convinced me. Now I'm gonna have to check it out. I'm gonna Dude, have to go a, ahead. It's gonna change your, it'll change your whole thing. Power is like going to watch uh, Knots Landing or whatever, compared to like what the Wire was doing. Right, right. Yeah, I need to do that, man. You definitely of the yeah. three. That's definitely the one that I've heard the most about. So I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and sit down and get my life together. Yeah, you gotta get, you gotta get that together, man. Yeah. All bro. right. This next one is another triple threat match. All right. All right. Outcast, UGK, or Mob Deep for duos. Um, ooh. so Mob Deep is out. Um, outside of Shook ones too. I, you know, that's the that's the joint. Um, and then um, I'm I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go Outcast. I'm gonna okay. have to go outcast. Okay. Slightly, slightly, slightly above UGK. I'm gonna have to go with outcast. All right, so this is going this is a new school rapper uh, discussion. Kendrick Lamar or J. Cole. Um J. Cole. J. Cole's more consistent. Okay, okay. All J. Cole's right. more consistent. K dot, you know, I'm still. K dot ebbs and flows. J. Cole's a little bit more consistent. Sade or Anita Baker. <laughs> Yikes. 
man, that's bro. But I'm gonna go Anita because that was my that was my crush when I was a little little boy. If I ever was an older one, you know, Cougar Anita Baker was my Cougar back in the day, <laughs> and just yeah, her her music man is just kind of yeah, definitely Anita Baker. All right, Janet Jackson or Mariah Carey. Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. All right. Yeah. All right. Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey. Whitney. Whitney. Whitney okay. Houston. Yeah, I've always been closer to Whitney's music than, than Mariah. So yeah. Okay. This is a city. This is a city battle for hip hop. All right. All right. You take the best MCs from Detroit okay. versus the best MCs from Chicago versus the best MCs from Atlanta. Who you got? I took LA and uh, I mean LA and New York out because there's so many of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Detroit, Chicago. Yeah, Detroit, Atlanta. Chicago. Atlanta. So we got calm. Are we still calm? Kanye in Chicago? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you got. You know, we got calm. We got him. We got Chan. I'm not a big Chance fan, but uh, okay. We're Royce the Five Nine is Detroit. Detroit. That's Detroit. Him, Eminem. Him, Eminem, and then Bree. Big Sean is Detroit too. Big Sean is Detroit. Bree was Detroit. Uh, I'm. And then you said Atlanta. I'm gonna probably go. Uh, I'm probably go Chicago. Okay, okay, because you got twisted involved with that. You got, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm probably go Chicago. Yeah, I'm probably go Chicago just because, calm and then uh, college dropout. You know, just significance of some of that music, and even though you know Outkast and uh, you know a lot of other guys, you know, represent Atlanta and uh, you know the deep. You know, it's been deep down there. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna give a. Uh, well, where are we counting Rick Ross? We count Rick Ross as Atlanta or okay. no? No, that's Florida. I would say Miami. Okay, I'm gonna say okay. Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna go comfortably with Chicago on this one. All right, best city to kick it in between these two: New Orleans or Vegas? Mm. Um, it depends on what type of kick. Uh, <laughs> hey, and, and this question actually depends on how old you are too. I think I realize yeah. as well. So I mean, I've been to both. I haven't. Um, I guess for the for, I guess for the type of and the ones in that food though. Uh, I haven't really ever actually kicked it in Vegas. I mean, I went. It was vacation. It was a relaxing vacation. Um, I say New Orleans, man. Maybe because of where I am in life right now. No, that's all. I think New Orleans is more. I think Vegas is more when you're younger and you you single. Yeah. You kind of in the streets a little bit. That's Vegas. Right. New Orleans, you like you could kick it a little bit. I could lay back and get some food, some jazz, that's, it's nice all about drinks, that food and them grooves, man. Yeah, yeah. And I go and, and give me a nice long sleep and wake up 11, 12, Go do it again. That's hang it. Out. Get you some beignets and a coffee and then yep. go do that shit again. Yeah, Vegas. I got to go hard the whole time. Like, I got. Right. I got to go hard 24 hours. Right. Ain't no tap out. Right. No. Right. Until it make you tap out on that flight back. That's what it yeah. make you tap out. No doubt about it. All right. This is the last question. May be the hardest one. And in, a lot of people have uh, through their through they controllers if they say uh, at this one. One rapper has to go. All their music, all their influence goes out 
the Notorious B.I.G. or Tupac. Who's like if you let the other one go, their music doesn't exist. And their influence doesn't exist. <laughs> I'ma have to say, I'ma honestly, one of them has to go. The the operative word here is influence. So I'm gonna have to let go of B because he really didn't have social influence like Pac did. Yeah, and you I think how many rappers are clones of Pac? Exactly, no doubt Pop about four. it. And and on multiple levels, right? Rappers who became actors, entertain, you know, that level of thing. And so Pac really did some things that a lot of guys didn't really do. And not only that, he was super talented doing it. And, and so, you know, that was just, yeah, in terms of influence, man, it's just bars wise, that's a whole nother conversation. Right, right. Of the combination, definitely Pac, no question about it. All right, Toya, thank you for coming on Mike Checking, my man. I appreciate this, man. Man, Where can no people doubt, hit you man. up social-wise and if they want to get counseling or reach out to you? Yeah, man. Um, so everybody can hit me up uh, on Facebook. Uh, look me up by name. I actually have a, a group uh, on Facebook uh, for my private practice. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I'll link that in the show notes for everybody, too. If, if yeah, they can no check doubt. It out. Uh, I'm, on, um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Instagram by name. I'm on TikTok by name. Um, you got a TikTok? Yeah, I do some TikTok, man, just to put some videos out from time to time, man, just because people are everywhere and just however I can reach young people and, you know, because there'll be people that I can get to on TikTok that aren't on Facebook or they might not be on IG or whatever have you. So I haven't been super, super active, but I drop some nuggets on there from time to time. Um, my, my, you know, my t-shirt and apparel store is still going. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Where, uh, where can they, where can, where can they get the t-shirts? Yeah, from? that's uh, shoptherates.com. That's S-H-O-P-T-H-E-R-A-T-E-E-S.com. Um, and then my website, etoyawhite.com. You can find all of that stuff, you know, on etoyawhite.com. And that's where people come in. They can leave messages, ask about, or just shoot me an email, coaching at etoyawhite.com. But all my contact information is on the website. My private practice phone number, all of that stuff can be found on the website. All right. Well, thank you for doing this, my brother. I appreciate it so much, man. No doubt, man. It's been long overdue. Yeah, man. Peace, y'all.